insight, analysis, and getting you ready for the Packers divisional round matchup against the 49ers. Snap, Rodgers, looks, waits, throws, middle, diving grab, touchdown, Devontae Adams again! We're all California dreaming. Look, I think we all know what's at stake. It's title town. It's uh, championship or disappointment. It's been every year. Presented by Annex Wealth Management. Same mentality we've been having. Just go into it, do what we got to do to make sure we win it this time. Broadcasting live from Radio City with Gabe Neitzel and Brian D. Here's Greg Matzik. Well, the countdown is officially on to the divisional round of the NFC playoffs. The Packers host the San Francisco 49ers Saturday night at Lambeau Field, and we've got two hours to get you ready for that game. My name is Greg Matzik, happy to be joined by Gabe Neitzel and Brian Dean. Gentlemen, welcome to The Rock. I almost just said good morning, because yeah. I'm so used to just being in this chair from 5 to 8.30. Well, we, you are after your bedtime here, right? Or oh, getting close to it? No sleep. But yeah. uh, why would you sleep? I'm too excited for this weekend, man. Play good stuff. Uh, Gabe, you're a morning guy as well, so we're stretching your hours a little bit. Oh, we'll be fine. We got a little bit of coffee in us this afternoon. We're, we got takes okay. ready to fly. All right, well, here's the deal for tonight. We're going to be on until 8 o'clock. The second hour of our program will be simulcast on 94.5 ESPN in Milwaukee. And if you're streaming along with us, you may follow us on the WTMJ Facebook page or the WTMJ Twitter feed. I think we're also up on the Facebook page for ESPN Milwaukee. And this is where you can comment. So you might be home, you might be getting ready for dinner, you might be getting out of your car saying, oh, I don't want to turn this program off. That's okay. Throw down some SpaghettiOs, have a meatball, throw back a, an ice-cold Miller Lite, and get your phone out. That's what we do as adults. That and just uh, see what grabs your ears and attention. Why didn't we do that? Well, I mean, you know what separates the adults there? The spaghettios with meatballs. That's clearly mm. the adult thing there. If you're a child, you have just the regular spaghettios. Not convinced it's actually meat, but we'll get that sorted out here on the program tonight. <laughs> uh, is anybody worried about this game, right? Yes. So instantly the 49ers beat the Dallas Cowboys, and it's like, whoa, here we go. This is a terrible matchup for the Green Bay Packers. So much so that all the talking heads Monday morning were diving into this like it was the 49ers that were somehow the top overall seed. Here's what Dan Orlovsky of ESPN had to say. It's the worst matchup the Packers could have gotten. It's a bad seven-day stretch for the Packers, knowing that San Francisco comes back, beats the 49ers, then they go on, excuse me, the Rams, then they go on the road. And truthfully, I know we're talking about the end of the game. They should have hammered Dallas. Just because they kicked field goals is what kept the game close and then the Jimmy G interception. Okay, so we've identified that the 49ers are better than Dallas and perhaps should have blown them out, but why is this such a bad matchup for the Packers? If you had to sit down and write a script of how to beat the Green Bay Packers right now, Every detail that would be in the, on that list is who the San Francisco 49ers are. They are, what do you call them, unapologetically themselves? Do they know themselves this, yeah. better than any, right? Self-aware, so, man. Exactly. So they could run the football. That's the weakness of the Green Bay defense. They got a front that could rush. They got disciplined coverage unit. They got a really speedy athletic linebacker unit and really good at the defensive tackle. And the last thing I'd say is this. It's the teacher versus the mentor. It's Kyle Shanahan versus Matt LaFleur. Is he right? 855-616-1620. Gabe, I, I will defer to you here first because uh, on a recent Wisconsin's Afternoon News, I asked you, this is prior to the end of the regular season, I said if you could handpick one team you don't want to see come to Green Bay, you said... The San Francisco 49ers. Here we go. For all those reasons. I mean, the, the Packers, after they gave up, it looked like the Packers' run defense 
was take making strides this year. You look back to their matchup in week three. They give 67 yards on the ground to San Francisco. Now San Francisco wasn't, they were using Trey Sermon as their main back at that point. Elijah Mitchell really hadn't emerged as the sixth round back that he is this year. And they weren't using Debo Samuel the way that they are now as this hybrid wide receiver and running back, trying to just rack up as many yards as possible with him. And the Niners have gotten better and better at running the football, especially the last six to seven weeks. And the Packers' run defense has gotten progressively worse. They gave up 200 yards on the ground to the Cleveland Browns on Christmas Day, and had Kevin Stefanski and his, his coaching staff decided, you know, let's just keep running the football. We just gained 30 yards on 3rd and 10. We ran the ball 3rd and 10, picked up a first down pretty easily. Instead, they decided they wanted Baker Mayfield to throw the football, and that worked out for the Packers because Baker threw four interceptions, including the back-breaking one at the end, where Kyle Shanahan is one of two coaches, him and Bill Belichick, and Belichick proved it against the Buffalo Bills earlier this year in 50-mile-an-hour wins. Those are the only two coaches that I can think of in the NFL that are absolutely cool if their quarterback doesn't rack up a ton of yards and doesn't throw. Because he proved it in their Super Bowl run. If Jimmy Garoppolo throws the ball 8-10 to 10 times... I'm cool with that if, if, if I'm Kyle Shanahan. So that's what worries me. If the Packers run defense acts like it did against Cleveland on Christmas, it could, it's just a bad matchup for the Packers. It's, it's going to be something for them to really, they're going to struggle defensively if they can't figure that out. If you could handpick the team, Brian, to come to Lambeau Field, would the 49ers be it or not? No, absolutely not. And it's interesting Gabe brings up the Browns game, right? Because if I'm the 49ers this week, that's the blueprint that I want to employ to try and come into Lambeau Field and beat the Packers. Devontae Adams went off in that game. He had 114 yards and two touchdowns. They decided we're shutting down everybody else. And we're going to let Aaron and Devontae beat us. And they were able to do that in large part, like you said, Gabe, because Baker Mayfield threw four interceptions. Like you said, if they would have just stuck with the run, they would have won that game probably going away. There's an interesting stat to back up their desire not to throw the football. The Niners passing offense is number one in the NFL in net yards per attempt. So they're actually really efficient throwing the ball when they do. They just don't because they don't trust their passing game a whole heck of a lot. And they would much rather run the football, which plays into the Packers' weakness. I also really liked Ryan Clark's take on ESPN, who does the show with Dan Orlovsky. Where we heard this narrative earlier in the week, this is a bad matchup, it's a bad matchup. Well, maybe the Niners are just a good football team. I think we're going to have to get to the point where we stop asking if the San Francisco uh, 49ers are bad matchups for certain teams. You think the Los Angeles Rams want to play the San Francisco 49ers? Hell no. You think the Dallas Cowboys wanted to play them? Hell no. Do the Green Bay Packers want to play them? No. So let's just say they're a good football team. They're a good football team that play a physical brand of football in a time where nobody else does it, and that's why they're hell on wheels to play. Play against. The other thing I would say about the Niners, guys, is thinking back to when the Packers beat them way back in Week 3 on the 51-yard game winner by Mason Crosby. That's the lasting memory, right? That's the thing that we remember about the football game is, oh, the Packers went on the road. They got this big win against an NFC rival that could come back and pay dividends later in the season. What we forget about the game, because that's what we want to remember as Packers fans and people that follow, is the Packers blew a 17-point lead in that game. They blew a 10-point fourth-quarter lead. And the Niners scored what looked like it would be the game-winning touchdown with 37 seconds left. Now, Aaron Rodgers is the greatest deodorant. He's the greatest eraser of all time. Being able to march them into field goal position, 
The other thing about Mason's field goal, that was like a fingernail away from being blocked. And the whole narrative of this game and that game, and in, in large part, maybe the entire season is different based on little things. That's the way the NFL works, but it's not like these two teams are that far apart. There's little plays over the course of the season that set up this matchup. And uh, getting back to the question, is this a bad matchup? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, but what is a good matchup, right? I, so that's where I, I come down. It, this is the divisional round of the playoffs, man. Like, like nothing good. should be a cakewalk or easy. Um, what I think is this. I don't think 2019 makes any difference anymore. And people are bringing that up, and I don't really understand why. The Packers were not the better team in 2019 in that NFC Championship game. It really wasn't even close. And they got blown off the field. They couldn't stop the run. I, this Packers defense is better than that Packers defense. They're better against the run, but I understand your point, Gabe. It's, it's kind of leaked a little bit. Oh, yeah. But that defense could only stop. The pass, right? Get a big lead with Aaron Rodgers, tee off, and get after the quarterback. I, I think this team is better against the run than that team, but I also think the Packers are a better team than the Niners this year. I didn't think that was the case a couple of years back. So if you're going to tell me you've got the home field, you've got the best quarterback, you've got the healthier team, and the more rested team, I, I get it. I understand why the Packers are a six-point favorite. I don't think it's terribly close in this particular game. The one thing about the 49ers, especially if you want to bring up 2019, the one thing that's drastically different about this 49ers team than the 29th, their secondary kind of secretly stinks. Like, if you take a look at their overall numbers, they're pretty good. They're top five against the pass in terms of passing yards per game. But if you look at when they go up against an elite receiver, man, do they get torched. Devontae did it. Cooper Cup did it mm-hmm. twice. Um, you look up and down at all the really good receivers that they faced and we're talking double-digit catch, 120-plus yards yeah. against the San Francisco 49ers secondary. I like that kind of party. That's that's why I'm curious, though, about what their defensive game plan is going to be. Because I, I think the Browns game, we're going to keep referencing it. I think it's the blueprint for the Niners where it's like, we're going to try and run all over you. Everybody knows that going in, and maybe the Packers will be able to stop it. Maybe they won't. But I don't think the Niners are terribly concerned with Devontae getting his because I don't think they trust the Packers' other, other weapons to be able to, to beat them. Uh, in, in terms of, I mean, we don't know if MVS is going to play in this game, right? Uh, Randall Cobb is healthy, but who knows what he's going to give you uh, in this weekend. Um, you know, and that's kind of it like this season. Alan Lazard's been okay, but do the Niners, can they lock up everybody else and say, Devontae, Aaron, have fun. Go get yours and we'll beat you with the rest. It's a scary proposition for the Niners. I wouldn't do it. And no, if that's, the, if that's their game plan, the Niners are getting their doors blown off. Like if, if you decide that, hey, we're going to cover everyone else, and then you let two guys that have been first-team All-Pro each of the last two well, years cook, dude, you ain't winning that game. I would have said the same thing about the Browns game, and that's exactly what happened, but Baker Mayfield turned it over four times, and that was a two-point game, and the Browns had the ball with a minute left. So I would like to believe... Because Devontae dropped the ball. Like, I, I, my money is on Devontae okay, not dropping so maybe, that ball. Maybe that, yeah, I mean, that's not going to happen a lot, but the Browns proved that it, it's viable in some cases. It'll be interesting to see how the Niners approach it. 855-616-1620 if you'd like to join us here. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text on. We also have some comments streaming through on uh, our Facebook page at WTMJ and also the ESPN Milwaukee Facebook page. We are streaming the program, so if you're flipping through on your phone, hey, stop, listen, enjoy, have dinner with us. There is some injury news that I want to share coming up on the other side. Jason Wildy is going to join us at 630. I- I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, here's the tease, and we already got a couple hundred votes in. If you could handpick only one player to return to the field Saturday night, 
Who would it be? And it's out of a collection of players who have not seen much action this season. David Bakhtiari, Jair Alexander, Zadarius Smith, Whitney Merciless. There's your four. You can only pick one. Brian, Gabe, I want you to think on that. I'd like you to think on that as well. 855-616-1620. Just getting started here. California Dreaming rolls till 8 o'clock on 620 WTMJ. Preparing you for Packers playoff football. The only way we know how. We're California Dreaming. Presented by Annex Wealth Management. Here's Greg, Gabe, and Brian. Packers are six-point favorites for Saturday night's game at Lambeau Field against the San Francisco 49ers. The Packers are the better team. They're the better team. They are the healthier team. They have the better quarterback. What San Francisco does well, I think, travels well. They run the ball well. They play good defense. They can get after the quarterback. I think the Packers are a better team. I think they roll in this game on Saturday. And everybody wants to make it out to be this nail-biter. And what are you going to do about Debo Samuel? What are you going to do about Devontae? What are you going to do about the quarterback who can actually throw the ball and is not likely to throw the ball to the other team late in the fourth quarter while trying to protect a lead? What are you going to do about that? That's the conversation that's not happening that I can't quite understand. It's all a recency bias because the 49ers played a pretty entertaining game against the Dallas Cowboys. They probably should have blown them out, but they didn't. They had to settle for field goals. Good luck with that at Lambeau Field. you got to score 30 to win. And I don't think the Niners are going to score 30 at Lambeau Field. There's this momentum thing going on, too, right? Where doesn't it feel like the Packers haven't played in a month and a half? Like, and I know it's just a couple of weeks, but the Lions game you kind of throw out because the starters really only played the first half, and they really only sort of tried in the first half. That's what it felt like to me anyway. So it, it feels like they haven't really played since that Vikings game where they smoked Minnesota on that Sunday night, which was great. And that's the lasting memory. But, man, I just I have the back. It's stuck in the back of my mind just week one and, and, and how sluggish they came out. And I know it's such a different team, and it feels like years ago at this point. But the Niners have been playing important football games every week for a month now. They've been playing foot, playoff football for a month. The Packers have been on cruise control since, like, October. So why, some, why could you go back to the bye week when good things were happening, <laughs> right? And then a week off, and then good things happen. Well, they finally won a game after the bye week. It's all about perspective, right? Because... If you want to, if you want to spin the narrative of the 49ers are a tough matchup, you say what Brian just said, like, oh, they've been playing meaningful games. They've been, well, playing meaningful games for that long, that can wear on you, yeah, man. Like, that can, can really just exhaust you because the 49ers had to play their way in. They had to come from behind from 17-3 down at the half against the Rams to even make sure they secured their own playoff spot. So, as we've seen with the Packers at times, they had to do that in 2016 when Aaron Rodgers said, we're going to run the table, and they ran out of gas. Granted, they also were not the more talented team. The Falcons were a lot more talented than them in that NFC Championship game, but they just ran out of gas. Like It seemed like they used everything they could to beat Dallas to get to that NFC Championship game that year. So we've seen that with teams where you just you start playing meaningful games for that long, it gets exhausting, it gets tiring. And like, we still need to figure out what Bosa and Warner's situation is because if those guys are not available for San Francisco in the game on Saturday, that defense looks drastically different. Yeah, or so even hindered, right? Like even if they're not a hundred percent it looks different. I was just gonna say that because Aaron Donald played last year for the, the Los Angeles Rams, but he was not Aaron Donald, Ooh. right? He had an injury that he was working with and it didn't look right. He was not explosive and the Packers really didn't have much of an issue getting by the Rams. So Bosa's coming out of the concussion protocol. It seems like he's moving through it okay. He's listed as questionable. I just got the injury report sent over for the 49ers. He is questionable. So he's made progress, which leads me to believe that he is going to play. 
Again, it's not a muscle pull. It's not a wrist or a back. It's concussion protocol. I don't imagine him to be hindered all that much. Easy for me to say. Fred Varner is an interesting player because he's an outstanding linebacker dealing with an ankle, so he's practicing, and it does look like he's going to play. I, I do wonder about Jimmy Garoppolo's sprained shoulder and if that's being kind of swept under the rug, if there's more there than meets the eye. I, it, it was kind of a casual reference by Kyle Shanahan after the Dallas game. Uh, he hasn't really talked about it much this week. I'm wondering if there's more there than we know. Somebody asked Jimmy Garoppolo this week, one of the local reporters in San Francisco, what's bothering you more, your thumb or your shoulder? And he said yes, which is not what you want to hear from your starting quarterback going into a road playoff. Well, additionally, if you're having thumb issues, playing in single-degree temperatures is not going to be great for ball handling and being able to throw an accurate football. I, which he doesn't really do anyway. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, like he does all the help he can hey, get, you're man. Not wrong. You're not yeah, wrong. Ru- Russell Wilson had some issues with his hand when he was in Green Bay, and the Packers pitched a shutout. Yeah. So Jimmy Garoppolo's not getting out of this game without throwing more than eight passes. That ain't happening anymore. Uh, but I do wonder if there's a Trey Lance package I was just to get him involved, that. right? Yeah. You think about unscouted and what could what could a team do that's just different or unique, and how do you plan for that? Well, they do have an interesting quarterback who did see the field back in week three as uh, the Niners were sort of getting their feet wet. They got off to kind of a sluggish start and finished hot. Uh, and Garoppolo played well. But now that he's beat up a little bit, I do wonder if there's something that incorporates the other quarterback. I, I think they're going to have a package, just be- especially because the way that the Packers did not perform well against the trick plays that the Lions threw out there. I'm not saying that you know the 49ers are going to throw out three or four trick plays the way that the Lions did, but I would not be shocked if there was some sort of trick play package that Trey Lance got involved just to see, okay, you guys were undisciplined against these looks. We'll see if you can stay disciplined, and we're going to try this with Trey Lance Maybe once. And who knows, maybe maybe they throw Trey Lance out there and then, you know, it, I hate to use the term decoy, but I mean, you could do so much with Debo Samuel that out of that type of look, whether it's running it, catching it, throwing it, like he's thrown a couple of passes this year. Like Kyle Shanahan is not going to be afraid to do any of that stuff, especially like you said, Gabe, after the performance the Packers had, if, even if they weren't like a thousand percent focus. And I think that was the case going into to week 18. As much as you said all week, and LaFleur said this and the players said this, as much as you said all week that you were excited to go out there and go to Detroit and play and win a football game, then you get there and you're like, uh, we've got our seed locked up. We don't really need this game. And we're out here playing, but we're really just playing for monetary incentives and to get Devontae's record. And once we get all that stuff, it's kind of over. Yeah, Rodgers wasn't really going through progressions no. as much as, where's Devontae? He needs to get his record. Yeah, right, and he got it, right? And they got all that taken care of. Uh was a record-setting season for the Green Bay Packers, who once again finished with 13 wins. So that's 39 regular season wins for Matt LaFleur in three years as head coach. That is uh, record territory for Matt LaFleur. Very, very impressive, but now you got to tip it in, right? I, you're at the point now where the NFC Championships game is great, and, and this offense has started to take flight with a Hall of Fame quarterback. Now you're feeling like it's time to tip it in, especially with everything that happened in the offseason. So a Twitter poll is up here. It's on my Twitter feed, at GMatzik. I think uh, Greg Hill gave it a repeat on uh, the WTMJ Twitter feed. If you could only handpick one player to return to the field Saturday night, who would it be? David Bakhtiari, Jair Alexander, Zadarius Smith, and Whitney Merciless. First, I'll give you the injury update on all these players. David Bakhtiari is listed as questionable. He was sort of in and out of the practice week, but did practice today. And, and today was really like a Friday, so it was more of a walkthrough speed. They're not going to do anything tomorrow. So I, to me, the injury report today is reflective of what I think you're going to see on Saturday. And to me, that means no Marquez Valdez-Scantling. 
but probably the only player you won't see. So Darius Smith, they'll have to activate him in time. He's not yet active, but practicing this week. Same with Jair Alexander. Actually, he is on the active roster. Uh, Whitney Merciless would also have to be activated. you got four players. If you could only pick one to come back, is there one more critical to the Packers' success this weekend than another? I'll tell you who it's not before I give you my answer of who I want. I don't know that I want David Bakhtiari out there. Like, after his performance in Detroit, where he he came out fine, but he was very clearly tired and winded, only played 27 snaps. Just, it felt like a test run and a preseason game in every sense of the word. You know, just, it... I don't know that if Nick Bosa is healthy, like, I would travel him. I would throw Nick Bosa on David Bakhtiari every single time and say, let's see if you're healthy, bud. And that scares the bejesus out of me if he's not, because game speed in the playoffs is a thousand percent different, especially potentially on a slick track at Lambeau Field. Communication's a big deal along that offensive line, too. Like, throwing him into the fire, that's... You're not throwing him directly in because he got those limited reps against Detroit, but this is as close to throwing him into the fire after a year as you possibly could. I don't know that I'm a thousand percent comfortable with that. Um, Zadarius Smith is the guy I would pick because all you need out of Zadarius Smith at one point in the playoffs is an explosive play at the right moment. Like he could change the postseason with one sack, one strip sack, one tipped interception. Like that's what you need from these guys that are coming back and being thrown into the proverbial fire is you're in there and you can make an impact with one play and change our season in a positive fashion. Zadarius Smith is the guy that can do that for me. I'm not concerned about Bakhtiari if he's out there. My concern is if he's not able to play the entire game. Like my my antenna for Bakhtiari went up when they were oh he had he couldn't play as many plays as we wanted him to because he got gassed. Yeah. And as much as you talk about an offensive line, like the one thing we talk about offensive line, it's a cohesive unit. You know these five guys. How important is it when five guys start together because they know everybody's tendencies? They're doing all these things. So if Bakhtiari has to come out and Yash Nyman has to come in for a series just to give Bakhtiari a blow, like that makes me a little worried. Because is Yash Nyman as good as he's played? Is he just going to be able to, okay, yep, I'm ready to go for the fourth series after being so used to getting ready, his body ready to be a starter. So that would be something that's concerning to me. So because of that, my guy's Jair. Jair Alexander, because I, I, I lean more towards the, the defensive side more than the offensive line, because the same thing goes for Josh Myers. Same thing goes, and I know he hasn't been out as long, but Billy Turner. If these guys aren't able to go the entire game, and they're planning on giving them breathers. That's just weird. That that takes you out of rhythm. It's making you do something you don't normally do. Defensive players rotate in and out all the time. So if you have Razul Douglas out there, you've got Eric Stotes, who have both played pretty well on the outside, why not just make Jair your nickelback? I think Jair can perform better than Chandon Sullivan, even though Chandon's had a pretty good season. Mm-hmm. So if Jair can step in and, and play a handful of snaps in the sub-package, man, if, if then if the 49ers try to get cute and, okay, we're going to put Debo in the slot, well, there's Jair. Good luck. It, this is interesting because you're right. It is hard to be situational with offensive linemen. Yes. Right? You can be situational with Zadarius Smith. You could probably be situational with Jair Alexander. We're going to ask Jason Wildey his thoughts coming up in just a moment. Keep this in mind. The Packers have a 53-man roster. It is full right now. So they'll have to create some space if they activate Zadarius Smith, Whitney Merciless, and Ty Summers is also on the outside looking in. A good special teams player. Jair Alexander and Billy Turner are already on the 53-man roster. Just keep that in mind. It's addition by subtraction if you're talking about pulling these players in and back to the active roster. More after this. It's California Dreaming. 
gear up for the postseason with us. You're listening to California Dreamin', presented by Annex Wealth Management. Back to Greg, Gabe, and Brian. So the poll is up and running. At GMatic on Twitter, you can also take a spin at 620 WTMJ. If you could only have one player back on the field Saturday night for the Packers, and this is a players who have not played in some time or whose seasons have been compromised due to injury, David Bontiari, Jair Alexander, Zadarius Smith, Whitney Merciless. Those are the options. You can only pick one. And right now, a couple hundred votes are in. Plenty of time left to vote. David Bakhtiari is a narrow leader over Jair Alexander. we got to ask an expert opinion. And for an expert opinion, who better to turn to than our Packers expert? Jason Wildey joining the program, host of Wildey and Tausch, 9 to noon on ESPN at Wisconsin. Good evening, Jason. We couldn't find an expert, but Jason picked up the phone. Right. We just started cold calling. And we appreciate that, uh, Jason. So, yes. I'm going to ask you the same question, Jason. If you could only have one player, who is most critical to the Packers' success Saturday night against San Francisco, of the names I mentioned? Yeah, I, I think I would pick David Bakhtiari, but I don't have a great feeling about him being available to them. I, I thought the way Matt LaFleur today was evasive, about David Bakhtiari's availability was concerning. Now, I don't know what that means. Does that mean that he's not ready to play 60 snaps in a game and they have kind of a plan where he's going to rotate with Yash Nyman and Yash Nyman needed to get first-team reps, so he's ready. But David Bakhtiari did not practice on Tuesday for load management, air quotes, reasons. Yesterday he took part in their padded practice on a limited basis. And then today he didn't practice again. And for a guy that all the talk was about making sure that you are in football shape, not just good shape cardiovascularly, but football shape, uh, that limited of a workload makes me wonder what exactly his participation will look like, if at all, on Saturday night. As long as we're talking about the offensive line, Billy Turner on the injury report, but a full participant, no status, so he's presumably ready to go. Same thing with Josh Myers. Myers not even on the injury report. Do you expect right. them to play? What, what do you expect the starting five, let's just go there, of the Packers' offensive line to look like when they roll out of the field at 7.15 on Saturday night? Yeah, left to right, uh, I'm, I am going to take the advantage of... Uh, TBA at left tackle because I really don't. I, I thought after he played against Detroit, I thought it was a slam dunk that David Bakhtiari was back. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers and him talking so gleefully about how great it was them back there and how Rodgers kind of nudged him into playing. So it'll either be Bakhtiari or Yash at left tackle. It'll be John Runyon at left guard. It'll be Josh Myers at center. I believe it will be Lucas Patrick at right guard with all the experience he has. Royce Newman is a rookie, started a bunch of games, but was up and down throughout the season. Uh, and then it will be Billy Turner at right tackle. Matt LaFleur, while he was, um, you know, not exactly uh, forthcoming about injury status today, he was very clear about Billy Turner's availability. So he will be back at his spot for the first time since injuring his left knee against Chicago on December 12th. Jason, flipping to the defensive side of the ball, who are the Packers more equipped to slow down? Is it Debo Samuel, this kind of -of jack-of-all-trades weapon, or is it George Kittle, a name that I feel like is flying under the radar a little bit this week, maybe because he only had one catch for 18 yards last week against Dallas? He scares the bejesus out of me. Who do you think the Packers are better equipped to slow down? 
He, he should, Brian, and hopefully you can get your bejesus back. I, I would say that <laughs> the way this team has defended tight ends, and I feel like this is something we talked about literally for years, right? I mean, it didn't matter who the defensive coordinator was. It didn't matter who the tight end was. If it was an elite tight end, we talked about concern about whether or not the Packers could slow that person down. And obviously we saw against Baltimore, Mark Andrews was terrific. Uh, George Kittle has flown under the radar lately. Everyone's talking about Debo Samuel. And, you know, they feel really good about Devondre Campbell. He is the feel-good story of the Packers season, along with Razul Douglas and Yash Nyman, these unsung heroes that have really come in and solidified this team. Well, the two things that he is tasked with most often are to stop the run and defend the tight end because he's got speed and length that most inside linebackers don't have. So those two jobs will make Devondre Campbell really important. Look, I I think George Kittle is still the best in the business. I know his numbers this year have not reflected that. He had injury problems last year. Uh, I do think he should make you nervous. But I also I don't want to sell Debo Samuel short here. I mean, he has been transformative. I was looking at their numbers. They were 3-5. and Their offense was averaging like 23 points a game. Uh, Since then, they're closer to 30 points a game. He has obviously been huge. They've won eight of the last ten. So both those guys are big problems. And this defense that has had its arrow pointing in the wrong direction had better be ready for both of them. So when we were playing this little game of you can only pick one player, Brian said Zedaria Smith. I was thinking about that. And I have asked you probably seven times this season, Jason, if you think Zadarius Smith is going to play again for the Packers. And I've been in lockstep with you. I just didn't see it coming. And I guess the arrow is is tilting more in favor of it, perhaps, than at any point throughout this season beyond week one. But then I start looking at how the Niners attack, or, or maybe their best plan to attack, and say, I don't know if I want Zadarius Smith on the field if it's not an obvious passing situation, because stopping the run I don't believe is his forte. Yeah, no, you're right, Greg, and I do think that, well, I think Brian can certainly make the argument of his value because, look, if you have him as a situational pass rusher, uh, first of all, it eliminates him from being a problem stopping the run, and secondly, it is something that he loves to do and is very uh, passionate about and very good at. Uh, At the same time, you know, what is that, 18 to 20, 25 snaps? Uh, But, look, against Jimmy G, who does not have a lot of cold-weather experience in the NFL, uh, he could be – look, here's the bottom line about Zadarius Smith. They've paid him whatever it is, $14, 16000000 million for this season. They've gotten very little return on this year's investment in the third year of his contract. But if he hits Jimmy Garoppolo when the game is tied or the Packers are down by two and he forces a fumble on one of his 18 snaps and the Packers recover and go score the game-winning touchdown or field goal – uh, every penny will have been worth it, even though you didn't get anything out of him for most of the year. So, you know, I, I also would argue that having Jair Alexander back in the mix would be incredibly valuable. I think Brandon Ayuk has really come on for the 49ers. Obviously, we just got done talking about Samuel. I think he's still a factor in the passing game, even though he only had three catches for 38 yards against the Cowboys. So, look, these are coaches love to say these are good problems to have, and they are. But the biggest thing is how do you reintegrate all these guys into what you're trying to do? And I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the answer will be. Yeah, that's really interesting because I we were talking about this before with Jair. Maybe you can sort of work him in to where he's on the number one. Hard to be situational with offensive linemen, right? You love that level of cohesion. That I'm gonna be fascinated not only with that, Jason, but 
let's say these players are put back on the active roster, who comes off, right? I mean, that's part of the equation as well. It's addition by subtraction. Yeah, there's obviously two roster moves that they'll have to make. They uh, parted ways with Kingsley Kiki, which is another uh, curious story that we don't have all the information on. Uh, that cleared a roster spot for Randall Cobb, who rejoined the roster today. But, yes, to bring back Merciless and to bring back Zadarius Smith, they will have to make at least one and two if they want both of them back roster moves. Awesome stuff, Jason. Really appreciate your time. We'll see you on Saturday. We'll listen to you tomorrow, 9 to noon, alongside Mark Tauscher, Wildey and Tausch, 9 to noon on the 94.5 ESPN in Milwaukee, ESPN at Wisconsin, 100.5 in Madison. Appreciate it, bud. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. Be good. You bet. Jason Wildey joining us uh, here on the program. Uh, about 200 votes are in. We'll update the poll coming up on the other side. Also, I've got in my hand the official rankings, Brian. Gabe, Ooh, right yes. here, the official rankings. Very official. Are oh, they good? you're going to love this. Can't the wait. official rankings. What kind of rankings? All 2021 NFL teams graded out on special teams. Ugh. Oh, crap. After this. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. Getting you ready for Packers 49ers. This is California Dreamin', presented by Annex Wealth Management. Now, back to Greg, Gabe, and Brian. Well, we are multi-platform tonight, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in hour number two of the program, we'll simulcast on 94.5 ESPN. Check out the 620 WTMJ Facebook or Twitter pages. You will see a live stream of tonight's broadcast. You can see us throwing the football around the studio. I went to get water, and then I tried to spin my chair without using my hands, uh, just my core muscles, and sure. that was uh, not easy to do. It's a good workout. Yeah, it's the you things know? you need to do in the studio, yeah. right? Yeah, working late, don't have time for that, that workout tonight, so you've got to get it in somehow. That's right. That's right. As we discuss all things Packers here on California Dream, and it's 855-616-1620 if you'd like to join us. I, I do want to get a, a pulse check of our audience here. I, I'm just curious, right? We're 48 hours away from the game beginning, roughly. Where do you stand, right? You've had di- time to digest the matchup. You have a good sense of the injury report. It looks like the 49ers are going to be, for the most part, healthy. I don't think any of their big dogs are going to be out. We'll see. I could be wrong, but that's my feeling after a, a few days of practice here. So where do you stand? 855-616-1620. I got them in my hand. They're Boys official, Greg. They're super-duper official. I can't imagine this is going to go well. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and gifted animals, I have in my hand the 2021 NFL Special Teams rankings as composed by Rick Gosselin. Yeah, and but a- it, it, before you dismiss these... This is like what Rick Gosselin does. Oh, no, this like, is... Like, this is the Bible yes. for special teams. Ever have a test that you know you didn't do well on, and now you're just kind of waiting for... Like, you're holding your breath, and then you see that email pop up because the professor just emailed out the grades. Mm-hmm. You knew you were bad. And you know and, it was bad. Yeah. And didn't kinda, prepare for that one. Went yeah. out drinking the night before on a Thursday against your better judgment. No, here comes the grade. That's how I kind of feel about... I have not seen the Rick Gosselin special teams numbers... But I'm terrified. So uh, it is interesting to note here. So uh, Rick Gosselin composes all the different categories, right? There are 22 total categories that he takes inventory on. And and just think special teams, and you could probably apply thought to it. It's kickoff returns, it's coverage units, it's the field goal operation, net punting. I mean, it's all sorts of things. Now, I did find it interesting that the best teams in the league, the top three, Baltimore, Indianapolis, and Seattle, they weren't playoff teams. Mm Mm-hmm. I find that interesting. Did they commit more resources? Did they have a different philosophy? I really don't know the answer, 
good special teams does not always translate into wins. I mean, Baltimore always finishes near the top because that's what John Harbaugh did. He was a special right. teams coordinator right. before he came, became a head coach. Took an, uh, an interesting route, a different route to becoming a head coach, and Baltimore has always had great special teams under him. So there's a point system, and it's kind of like golf. You want to have a low total here. So Baltimore is on top of the list with 241.5 points. Take that for what it's worth. All right. 31st on the list are the Chargers at 444 points. And then you've got the Grand Canyon, and then the Green Bay Packers Uh at 482.5 points. Like, it's not even close. The Packers special teams collectively grayed out as the worst in the NFL. Now, here's my thought. The Packers are 13-4. and They did not have a game cost them. They did not have special teams cost them a game, although it was close. They tried. Against the 49ers. It was close against Cincinnati. Cincinnati. (laughs) It was close on multiple occasions. But are we worried about this going into the playoffs? Hell yeah. Or, or is our bar, just don't screw up? Oh, the bar's just don't just screw up. Just don't screw up. The bar is literally don't screw up. Don't do something stupid on the kickoff return. Let the kickoff go over your head. Let's start at the 25-yard line every time. Um, just make but sure teams you... are going to kick it to the Packers because they, they know Rick Gosselin's <laughs> rankings. Call for that fair catch. Secure that bad boy on the punt return. At the five-yard line. I'm done. <laughs> We're let staying me, here. Let me paint some pictures for you. It's 28-27. With five seconds left, and Mason Crosby's got a 48-yarder for the win. You kick it. I feel. Of really, course you do. You absolutely How do you kick feel? It. Do you feel sick to your stomach? I, oh, don't. I don't feel good on extra points right now. Well, so but you got to kick it. The, the kicking operation has been really smooth. Like Ever since the Rams game, Mason's only missed two kicks. Missed a field goal in that Rams game that was 44 yards, I mm-hmm. think, and then he missed an extra point against the Detroit, Lions. Yeah. Which he told it. The, the, dude, the dude always misses kicks somehow at Ford Field. I, don't, I, I can't in make it make sense. In a pristine environment. Yes, it couldn't be more exactly. perfect. But this dude, when it comes to playoff field goals, nails. This, this guy's nails. Yeah. Like If you don't trust Mason Crosby in a playoff game, like then you're not going to trust any kicker, well, and you're just going to be nervous in that in that situation, no matter what. I don't know if my concern is as much with Mason Crosby, and it hasn't been all year as it is with whoever gets the long snapping roll, and it'll be Stephen Wordle, right? And then Corey Bajorquez, right? Like that's that's been the issue. Is it's not just a one man operation; it's a three man operation, and it's a protection operation, right? And that stuff caused the issues early on in the season, and you just hope those things don't rear their ugly head at the worst possible time. Kick coverage is is terrifying, too. You talked about fair catches, right, Gabe, and not muffing kicks and punts and that kind of thing. I mean, we saw kick coverage. Was it the Bears game where they had, they had a long one? Uh, it, it's just it, that's that's something that can flip an entire game. And field position-wise, especially against a team like we've talked about in our first hour tonight, guys, where the Niners don't throw the ball well, but if they have short fields all night and they don't have to throw the ball well or down the field or efficiently, that makes things a heck of a lot easier on that offense. Brian, you could have said... And I have watched every snap of every game. I have been at every home game at Lambeau Field. You could have said, remember that big return from any game? And I think <laughs> right. I would have believed yes. you. Yeah. Like, I would have thought, oh, I didn't think they had a bit. Oh, I must have missed it. You know, I mean, they probably gave up a big return in that game. You know, like, you could have said, yeah, like that one big kickoff return they gave up against Minnesota. And I would just be like, yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah that, I remember yeah. that. You know who's going to be returning kicks? New guy, whose name I can't even remember because David he played one. That's it. He is going to be the one returning. I, I, I promise you that. He, he ended up on like a, a weird COVID. They do not want to put Amari Rogers there. No. They don't. No, it's Amari Rogers or it's Randall Cobb. Which is interesting with Cobb coming back off injury. Now, that's maybe the other weird thing is that they had Cobb back there. It's sort of like the hands guy in a short kick, and then he fumbled one away. So it's like 
It's just like hey, the curse of the, the special right teams. It made the right decision with Randall. Right? It, it was against. The, it was the game he got hit, hurt against Pittsburgh, yeah. and you're going, okay, this is the right decision, and then he muffed it. But now it's time for it. So here's where things have changed in years past, and this goes back to the Mike McCarthy days. I remember Charles Woodson returning punts in a playoff game, and, and my only thought was, God, I hope his leg doesn't explode. Mm-hmm. And I get why they don't have true specialists anymore, right? If you're, if you're that special a player, you probably have a role on offense or defense. Jair was a great returner in college. I ain't putting him back there, right? I, so they, their options are limited to this, this group of inexperienced players. So, I, I mean, I get it. I hear all the, oh, you got to fire the coordinator again. Really? Do we really think this is a coordinator issue anymore? It's yeah. not a Mo Drayton issue, and it wasn't a Mike Stock issue. It's a personnel issue. It is an organizational philosophy that needs to change because I think about 1996. Man, that was great special teams. Craig Hendrick was a Pro Bowl punter. Chris Jackie was a steady kicker, though he was aging, <sighs> but he was steady. Was he? He won a big game against the 49ers that year on Monday Night Football. Yeah, and you know, I what, remember. You know what the head coach said after the game? Well, they How got about a- our kicker who can make a 51-yard field goal but can't make a Bleeping extra point. Oh, there's that. He was a steady agent kicker. Point was right there. But think about this: that you had the, the the use of the word specialist with Desmond Howard. Like that was his jam, man. Like he returned three kicks for touchdowns during the regular season. Was Don an MVP. Beebe had a kickoff return for a touchdown that season. Like Beebs. Beebe was excellent as well. Beebs was like the backup kick returner, and he still had an extra ear. And you know who their best best guy on special teams was? Their starting fullback, William Henderson. Right, so well, it, Travis it, Jervy was a Pro Bowler. It, it's tur- and, and then As ever since teamer. 2005, when Goslin started doing his rankings, the Packers have been 26th or worse 11 times. So you're still thinking it's a coordinator issue? I, I don't. They're I, not, I, I don't think it is. It's a collectionary for the inexperienced. Yeah, that's exactly it. They're not investing. In, it, it's a tricky thing. And, and I wrote about this in Extra Points at WTMJ.com when we were going through these things in the middle of the season. It's it's an investment you have to make, and there's a risk there, but you have to put good players on special teams. And if you put inexperienced players on special teams, these are the results you're going to get. Now, the risk you run with playing good players on special teams is injury because you're asking these guys to get in a car crash five times a game, right? Like, that's what special teams is, but you're also running the risk by not playing these guys of having your season end on a long kickoff return in the worst possible moment. Like, it's it's a hard thing to justify, but teams all over the NFL justify it every single week. But it's even when they try to invest in it, because you, you, you want to talk about the organizational philosophy. Okay, maybe you should spend like a sixth, seventh round pick. You know what? This is somebody I think can really help out on special teams. You know, and, and even, I mean, you want to think back to the Super Bowl year, as much as Jarrett Bush was, you know, not liked by the fan base anytime he had to play defensive back, dude was aces on special teams. But even this year... Amari Rogers was supposed to be that guy. They invested a third round pick. Yeah, in the future he can be a slot guy, but they knew, you know, that probably this year wasn't going to play a lot on offense because of all the guys returning. And then they ended up bringing in Randall Cobb. But this dude was supposed to be okay. He can be our special team guy. He can be the punt returner. He can be the kick returner. And even that didn't turn out. No, right. it's so, a bad decision it's, maker. It's, it's inexperience, right? For for Amari Rogers, I'll, I'll give you an example. And this, you know, I. Buffalo Bills, right? They they stole Micah Hyde from us. They stole Micah Hyde from us, a, a beloved Green Bay Packer that the Packers just decided not to pay, and he's turned into an all-pro player. Who was returning punts for the Buffalo Bills in their blood in the New England Patriots last Saturday night? It was Micah freaking Hyde, second-team all-pro. 
Okay, that's who they have back there because he can catch the ball and make good decisions. And what happened in the later stages of that game? He almost burst one and tripped over his own guy. It's the only reason he didn't take one to the house. That's a second team all pro that had one of the most dynamic athletic interceptions I've ever seen in my life in a playoff game. They've got him back there returning punts. It's a risk, but that's the risk you run. There's an injury risk there, but you're also risking your special team sucking and your season ending if you don't put an experienced guy back there. Mario Rogers makes me nervous. I, I, he just yeah. does. It's just it not been good decision making. Gabe and I, you talk about this every week. I don't think he's fast. Like it's just sort of a, a prereq you'd think it's, for a wide receiver. Is he fast? Well, no, I don't think he is. It's become one of my favorite games that Greg and I play, whether we're at Lambeau Field or sitting right here in the NX Wealth Management Studios. You know, during the game, watching it. Do you think Amari Rogers is fast? I don't know. Let's go check. Like there have been times where I just watch Amari Rogers on the field. That's the only thing I watch on the play. I I think I've concluded that he's not fast. But I don't think I have enough data points to okay. definitively make that statement. My, my, my thing is he's not fast. <laughs> uh, he'll probably end up on the playoff roster just because. But I, I got to be honest, I don't want to see him returning kicks or punts. I, I don't know if he's active. Don't. You do you think he's active? I, the, the more thing is interesting. I, I think he's back, and he had a punt return that was the longest of the season for the Packers. I think on his first or second opportunity, may have had a f- fair catch uh, in that particular game. And then I think Amari Rogers had a longer one. The week after. But his stuff is surrounded by a, a river of garbage. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's like his body of work is not very strong. And it's just it, it's an area that you do not want to have cost the Packers a game. And not that I'd feel good if the offense laid an egg and Aaron threw a pick or the defense allowed 200 yards on the ground. Uh, but you, just, you hate to have it come down to an inch here or an inch there. And that's what it is when you talk about blocked kicks or a guy missing an assignment. And a return man blowing it up for 80 yards. The Niners know this stuff, Or too, making man. a bad decision well, on a return. That, that, yeah, right. That's the scary part, is they, they know, and they're going to try and take advantage of this. Like if you think you're Why gonna, wouldn't you? If you think you're going to see a kick to the Packers out of the end zone in this game, you're kidding yourself. No. If you think you're going to see a directional punt to the Packers in this game, you're kidding yourself, right? So I, it's it's... It's an exploitable thing for every opponent between now and the Super Bowl, and you just hope they can piece it together with duct tape long enough where it doesn't bite them. So don't screw up. That's our bar for special teams. That's right? it? If, it, if special teams don't screw up and the 49ers are held under 150 yards rushing, the Packers will win this game. And that's a pretty hefty total on the ground. The Packers will still win the game. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel very confident okay. in that. All right. Well, we'll get predictions coming up in the second hour of the program. We are going to be joined by a new audience. We'll welcome in those from ESPN Milwaukee on 94.5, who will join us uh, in the second hour of the program. Also, it is award season, and we do have a handful of awards to give out from the regular season. We have turned Greg Hill loose on this, which can only mean bizarre hijinks are ready to ensue. Is weather a thing? I want to talk about that a little bit and Gabe's scheduling dilemma. We've got all sorts of stuff to get to here on the program. By the way, hit us up uh, on uh, the Twitter feed at 620WTMJ or the WTMJ Facebook page, and you can follow us along. We've got live video. What's happening in the studio right now as we toss the football around and have a radio program? Had to go up high to get it. Oh! 
I think it may have knocked out our third camera. Uh-oh. Gabe may have made a save there. Uh, that football is deflated. We looked like by the way. Uh, that needs a looked, little more air in it. We looked like the Packers punt returners trying to catch this football. Was that a muff? Can you advance that? I can't advance, but I can recover it. And now I've got a short field. Okay, well he's got that to work with, which is nice. Here we go. Hour number two of the program coming up on the other side. Hang with us here. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. If you'd like to join us on the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line, again check us out on Twitter and on Facebook Live. More California dreaming after this. Insight, analysis, and getting you ready for the Packers divisional round matchup against the 49ers. Snap Rodgers, looks, waits, throws, middle, diving ground, touchdown, Devontae Adams again! We're all California dreaming. Look, I think we all know what's at stake. It's title town. It's a championship or disappointment this time of year. Presented by Annex Wealth Management. Same mentality we've been having, just going to it, do what we got to do to make sure we win it this time. Broadcasting live from Radio City with Gabe Neitzel and Brian D. Here's Greg Matzik. Welcome back in. It is California Dreamin' on WTMJ and ESPN Milwaukee. We join a new audience. We welcome you in on 94.5 ESPN and WTMJ. And to those who are chiming in on the WTMJ Facebook page and Twitter account, you are seeing a live video stream of what is happening in the studio. Greg Matzik, Brian D. and Gabe Neitzel with you for one more hour as we discuss all things Packers and Niners. We've got some awards to hand out later this hour. We'll also get you ready for the division around weekend and tell you what to watch. We'll rank the games that begin on Saturday. Get nervous yet? Do you get nervous? Yeah. Do you get, or is it like an antsiness? You yeah, know? it's it's winter go home time, and I, I, I think... It doesn't fully hit you until the game kicks off. Like you can try to mentally prepare yourself as a fan for this as, as much as you can with listening to our show and listening to Lafleur and Rogers talking their pressers all week and on McAfee, and then you you find yourself at least I do just like pacing all day before the game actually kicks off, and that's going to be a tough deal on Saturday night, waiting around all day, all day long for this game to kick off, and then bang, it finally kicks off and. You're three hours away from either being jubilant or being, you know, going into an off season where we don't know what's. Next. I, I've shared a studio with Gabe for a couple of seasons now, and and we both have sort of our things. Um, it, when it gets down to the nitty gritty, Gabe is a little bit more of a pacer than I am. <laughs> I've noticed. Gabe gets violent. I'm, uh, I am yeah, more. Just, let's just be <laughs> glad you're not sitting next to me. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the uh, Packers uh, Cardinals game back in what year was this? 2015. 16. Uh, so the after the 15 season uh, where the Packers made the playoffs. Yeah. The they defeated. The, yeah. They they defeated the Washington football team in the wild card round. Then to go on and play the. Arizona Cardinals the following day. So this was really the first playoff game, Packers playoff game, I had watched with one Gabe Knight. So, and there was a, a handful of friends from ESPN Milwaukee at the time that got together to watch this game. And every time something good or bad happened, Gabe just beat me up. Like, Gabe's a physical lover in a lot of ways, and I think he just needed to take out his anxiety, his nervousness, his tension on my arms. I woke up with just bruises all over my biceps the next day. So, full disclosure here, Greg. I mean, we're among friends. Um, so, first of all, for this party, I was lied to. I, I, I don't... Before I started doing stuff on the network, I liked to watch playoff games... Very small group of people. Alone. Very much, yeah. If, if I'm going to be no, around people, you know, I, I, I just want to be locked in and focused. Uh, I was told just a handful of people were going to be there. There were 15-plus people It's viral. No, it that's was, too it was, much for you? Oh, it's, it's way too much. There's way too much. There's, yeah. there's people who aren't really watching the game, and there are all these things going on, and I just really want to focus. Um, there was also 
a lot of brandy that was consumed that yeah. night. Um, More brandy than was drank in the entire Second World War. Yeah, um, yeah. At one point, I was pouring myself an old-fashioned, making myself an old-fashioned, and my friend looked at me and went, Gabe, that's a lot of brandy in there. And I responded, football isn't fun, Hannah. It <laughs> <laughs> seemed to make my drink. Well, all right, we know how the rest of that story ends, right? Uh, so you can only imagine what happened at the end of the game. in the press box at Lambeau Field this weekend and not beating me or anybody else. Yeah, no, I'll be keeping careful eye on your cup. But uh, I, I'm more of a sit and uh, sort of put my hand in my, my on my head and just sort of hunch over. And I just sometimes I can't look, and then I do end up having to look. And, look, that's just kind of the ride the Packers have taken us on here over the last couple of years. That's why I'm holding on to optimism that this is just an absolute blowout. If this could resemble any one of the games that we watched with the exception of the 49ers-Dallas game, that was a, a blowout. Now, I guess Cincinnati and, and Oakland, or, or Vegas, was uh, a little more entertaining than it probably should have been. But otherwise, the first weekend was kind of a dud. Laughers. I, I'm okay if it's a dud 100%. on Saturday night. I, I'm 100%. down with that. Oh, if it's a dud, I'm down. Uh, it's not a dud if it's in your favor. Well, that's, that's a good point. That's not a dud at all. You know what I mean? If you win 47-17, guess what? That's a party. That's not a dud. That's a great thing for everybody at Lambeau Field. I'd be interested in that. Oh, I'd just walk up. away with it. Sign me up for that because then you then you start to feel really good, no matter who ends up winning on Sunday about that NFC championship. When was game. the Packers' last playoff laugher that was like not stressful? You know, I, I it's, it's been a while. Yeah, I, even against boy they they demolished Seattle, but that game got closer than it should have been at the end a couple years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. The I mean, Russell Wilson effect. I never thought the Rams game was particularly close last year. No, but they, they won that game 32-18. I feel like that was one game that maybe at one point was kind of close, but at no point did I feel threatened in that game. No. You know, but it wasn't a laugher. It wasn't a blowout. They had quarterback the last, issues. The last one was the game against the Giants in the run the table game, oh, 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Aaron yeah. Rodgers hit Randall Cobb with the Hail Mary at the end of the first half, and that game just... After that, it was... Roll Packers roll. They won that one 38-13. So there's a storyline that always gains steam when the Packers host playoff games in January, right? And that is the weather component, the frozen tundra. And there will be more talk about this throughout the rest of the week. There will be thermometers that are shown as part of the TV coverage. Giant thermometers. It'll be part of the forecast, right? What's happening at Lambeau? Freezing glasses Yeah, no, it's a thing. And, And I get it. That's part of the appeal. This is why you want to have home field advantage. Unpopular opinion, it don't matter mm-hmm. to the players. It does not matter to the players. If you're on the field, you're playing ball, right? You just it, it might matter for the head coach who has to layer up and can't get to the heater on the sidelines, and players who aren't on the field might inch their way over to one of those blow torches that has the yellow flame coming out of it. I just don't think you'll get to the end of this game and say, Team A beat Team B, because of the weather. When was the last time you said that? In a playoff game with the Packers? Because the Packers um, have lost enough cold-weather playoff games to make me think it's not going to be that big of a deal. Because the Niners have won in Green Bay. Atlanta won in Green Bay. But, the Giants won in Green but Bay. But there are certainly times where teams come to Lambeau Field and they just look uncomfortable with how cold it is. And and maybe that's because the score's getting away from them. But they're... It had, doesn't happen all the time, but it certainly has happened. Yeah, the the, the Vikings game, uh, the second to last week of the regular season, sticks out. The Vikings, they did. Well, not I, that, I'm talking about a playoff game. Sure, right. I'm talking sure. about a legit playoff game. I just I don't recall in in playoff history at Lambeau Field in games that I've covered 
leaving the game thinking, that team wanted no part of the weather today. I I think you are spot on when it comes to cold. Um, And I think part of that is what we talked about in terms of the game has changed so much where you've got heated benches now. You've got those jet-fueled heaters on the sidelines. Uh, you know, every time a player runs off the field, he's gr- uh, greeted by a coaching staff member with one of those gigantic parkas to throw over his shoulders, right? So, like, the only time you're really cold, quote-unquote, is when you're out there playing, and you're not cold. You're focused on trying to play football at that point in time. I think the weather conditions that are, are not going to affect this game, uh, based on the forecast, that could affect playoff games or maybe have in the past, are snow. And then wind. Wind can affect the passing game and the kicking game a lot, and I just don't think we're going to have to deal with those things this weekend. But the cold can certainly, I think because it's so cold, the football's only going to travel so far when you kick it. I think your range starts to shrink a little bit more and how comfortable you are kicking in the cold. It's not a big thing, but now on fourth and two, instead of kicking a 48-yard field goal, maybe you're going to go for it. Because eh, I just don't feel good about my no. kicker potentially making it all the way there with the special NFL kicking ball, and now it's like a brick. Analytically, you should be doing that anyway. <laughs> Matt LaFleur probably would. Yeah. Kyle Shanahan probably would. And I think both kickers are experienced with the cold. Robbie Gold has been rock solid. Uh, kind of forgot the Niners had him until I saw him kick a lot of field goals last week against Dallas. Which, by the way, if they have to kick that many field goals again, they ain't winning this game either. Uh, and I think the, the ship is steadier with Mason Crosby and that unit. I, I don't want to put it all on Crosby. I, I, There's much more to the puzzle than just Mason. But it will affect special teams, I, I think, more so that's, than any. That, I, I that's where you know it, it really mean? comes into play, yes. I, I think it does, and, and it's you know the kickoff return unit and all that kind of stuff. I think the turf is going to be fine. I mean, players are going to do what they have to do. The turf's going to be Lambeau Field turf. It's going to be what you'd expect. People are slipping at Lambeau. It's just something that happens. They slip at Lambeau in September when it's pristine. They slip there when it's going to be Saturday, January, and it's below zero. Why is that? I'm not sure. Like they, they have this hybrid of real grass and fake grass there that they're very proud of, so much so that if you take the stadium tour, if you like look at the grass the wrong way, they kick you out of the stadium. Um, and yet they're giving dirt to Lay's to let them grow potato chips. Yeah, I don't believe it. Yeah, that's <laughs> an excellent point. And there yet I try to do it, and I'm the bad guy, Greg. Yeah, no, I understand that. Uh, we but, are in a potato friendly world here in Wisconsin. It, it, it's interesting, though. It's not like it, it. It's not like the Packers have figured it out either. It's not like we've got this ice skating rink oh, out yeah. here that we figured out and have the correct cleats for and everybody else can slip and slide all over the place like everybody's slipping and sliding it's just a weird uh quirk of lambeau field it's bizarre yeah I, you know i've seen atlanta come to green bay and beat the packers on a snowy day i've seen the 49ers with colin kaepernick come and end the packers season in the wild card round like a hide your guy couldn't quite hang on to that ball thrown his direction that would have turned the tides in the game and we saw the giants do it too and and i really felt the packers were a better team than the giants that year uh, debatable on San Francisco. That team was only outdone by Seattle in their own division, and Seattle had an unbelievable season that particular year. I just don't think that we'll talk about weather when the game is over. I don't think it'll be a storyline during the game. I don't think we'll look at it at the end of the game and say, yep, that's see." But I do think having home field advantage is a thing, and part of that is the conditions. Part of that is the fans. And if you want to add a little storyline to the mix... What's the stat on Jimmy Garoppolo? Has never started a game in the NFL Below with the temperatures degrees. under 40 degrees? Did you hear that gasp? Did you hear that sigh coming out of my mouth? I, do you take any stock in that? No. No. <laughs> 
Come on. Yeah, he's bad I, I regardless. Okay, I get it. Yes, <laughs> yes, he's bad regardless. That's great. Uh, th- there's this is so overblown for a guy that grew up in Illinois, played college ball in Illinois, played for the Patriots. I get he, he never threw a pass in New like yeah he never picked up a football in New England and had to throw in one of those blustery cold New England afternoons at practice on a Tuesday. I think this is way overblown. Way overblown. All right. 855-616-1620 if you'd like to join us here on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Got an open line for you if you would like to join us. We say hello to everybody who is checking us out at 620 WTMJ on Twitter. Also the WTMJ Facebook page as we stream this program live. Coming up next, Gabe's scheduling dilemma, and we've got awards to hand out. Hang with us on California Dreamin'. Getting you ready for Packers 49ers. This is California Dreamin', presented by NX Wealth Management. Now back to Greg, Gabe, and Brian. So programming note, uh, this program will air again next week. Not this same program. I suppose we could spin it back, but it would be very much out of date. Uh, but once the Packers wipe Lambeau Field clean of the San Francisco 49ers and send their asses back home with a loss... We'll do the show again next week, previewing the NFC Championship game, where the Packers will take on the Los Angeles Rams. That's an early glimpse into my predictions for Divisional Round Weekend. Gabe, are you superstitious? Well, here's the thing. I'm trying to figure this out. Like, I have this entire week gone from being very confident to then being, you know, a little scared. And then Greg talks like that, and I'm going... Ooh, now I'm a little bit nervous. Oh, why? How did that make you nervous? <laughs> it just makes me it just it just makes me very concerned about the game, it, which leads me to um, you're talking about scheduling and programming notes. So I handle one of the other responsibilities I have here at Goodcomer Brands. I handle the scheduling on 94.5 ESPN. You know, substitutes. You know, people who are going to be cousin subs in and out, things like that. What we're going to air and. Should the Packers win, we will be airing this program from 6 until 8 on 94.5 ESPN next week. We would also then have the Bucks game on 94.5 ESPN as it would be conflicting with the Packers NFC Championship game next Sunday. So I'm putting together my schedule this week, and I'm looking at the schedule going, do I put these things on the schedule, or is that a jinx? Is that going to cost the Packers... And that's going to put it out there in the universe, and then I am jinxing the Packers mm. by putting this on the schedule and then releasing it to all of our teammates here at GKB Milwaukee. And what did you end up doing? I put it on there. Wow. Oh boy. I was, I was, I put it out, I asked a lot of different people. Oh, you asked um, me? You I asked, asked Brian. I asked mm-hmm. Greg Matzik. I asked Brian D. I asked other friends who work here. Uh, one, one person told me YOLO, so I should do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One person told me I should put just the Packers schedule on there, but they felt the Bucks part of the schedule was going too far, which doesn't seem to make much sense to me because you're going to jinx the Bucks. Wait, now wait a minute. Now, what? Yeah, it doesn't make sense logically. Even though two things would have to be changed, yes. This other schedule maker only changed one of the two things so as to not go too far? Correct. Mm. That is correct. You already peed in the pool. (laughs) Let it fly, man. Right? Uh, You've already peed in the pool. So, and then after, you know, talking to Greg, Greg felt very strong about speaking things into existence. Oh, yeah, I'm big on that. So, I felt I felt good about that. Yeah. So, I decided, you know what? Packers are winning. We're putting it out there. Okay. Did, did Gabe do the right thing? 855-616-1620 if you'd like to chime in. I, he was... He was stewing over this decision. Uh, and and it, every once in a while, Gabe comes over to my desk when I get in here, and uh, our schedules overlap a little bit. And he had kind of a nervous look on his face, Brian. <laughs> and he opened the conversation with this. 
I've been asking a lot of people this question. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd get your opinion as well. That could have gone any like, other Can, can, I, can yeah. I sit down for a second, yeah. please? Like, I just got my, can I get my coffee set up here? Just give me a moment. I said, he explained the dilemma. Now you go for it, man. Right? You speak this thing into existence. It's going to happen. I'm a law of attraction guy. You got to, you know, speak good things into the world and they come back around to you. That's what I think we did here. That is perfect for our we, Twitter feed and Facebook page. Like, comment. Did Gabe do the right thing? By the way, I shouldn't have said we. Gabe did this. So, like, Gabe takes all the credit when the Packers win this weekend. Oh, yeah. No, it, it works that way, too, you, man. man. And then I take all the blame when they lose, right? Get, no, oh, yeah. Can, no, be prepared. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. We can get you a championship <laughs> ring after the Super Bowl, too. Look, I, look I, I blame myself for years for the Packers' 2015 NFC Championship game loss. You booked flights, didn't I, you? When I was looking, but I went to get a suitcase in the fourth quarter. I, I, I took... Um, the person who was responsible for my flight was texting me to make sure they had the correct information in the fourth quarter. Of yeah, game. there you go, right? I mean, we were all in the same boat, and we all took it personally. You couldn't have waited ten minutes? No. Selfish. (laughs) Indeed it was. All right, fellas. Oh, hey, Greg. Hey, guys. G-Hill. It's G-Hill. Thanks for having me. And it's The pancake. Can we call him the pancake? Sure. I'll respond. Let's be, you know, let's be real. I feel like that's the appropriate music that should play every time before you open your microphone. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Maybe it is. Mark it. It is now. (laughs) Moving forward, certainly. And as the regular season comes to an end, fellas, we all come together. We are here to commemorate, to celebrate, and possibly relegate the most memorable moments of the regular season. That's right. It's time to hand out some awards. Now, these awards will be mobbed. What does that mean? That means they'll be mounted on the mantle, of course. So that's how valued these awards are. In the pantheon of Packers and WTMJ and ESPN Milwaukee and just radio legacy. So before we get any further, let's and before the music plays me out. Yeah. Thank you. We'll get going. Uh, we'll start easy here. Performance of the year. Greg Matzik, go ahead. Who is your performance of the year winner? Wow. I, you know, it, it, to me, it's... I'm not going to boil it down to a single performance. I'll boil it down to an sure. overall season performance. Sure. And, and, and this is the Aaron Rodgers Award if you... Have yourself in the MVP discussion for the league. I think you, you, you go to the head of the class on this. I am open to hear if you have individual performances that stand out. But Rodgers' season long is why the Packers are where they are. Gabe Neitzel? Uh, I'm going to say performance of the year is Devontae Campbell. Because nobody knew what kind of performance this guy was about to put out there. And to be the first Packers inside linebacker All-Pro since Ray Nitschke in 1966... Are you kidding me? This is something the Packers have been searching for ever since like Nick Barnett left them. Uh-huh. An inside linebacker who could make plays. It's been a joy to watch and see Devondre Campbell perform in the middle of that defense. Hey, Brian D., your performance of the year. I will be a little more specific than Greg was with Aaron Rodgers. I will take 12 against the Bears this season. Let me hit you with some stats against Chicago, who he owns, as we well know. 46 of 60, six touchdowns, no picks, 536 yards, and an average quarterback rating of 134.5 against the Chicago Bears in two games. He owned them this year. He's owned them forever. Aaron Rodgers against the Bears, performance leader. And Aaron Rodgers here to accept his award. Oh, sorry, Aaron Rodgers. 
Out of time. Thank Get you for joining us. Get your foot off the table, oh. Aaron. Get out of here. Yeah, seriously. Don't take up the whole clock. All right, an award that Aaron cannot win, Defensive Player of the Year. Gabe Knightzel, we'll start with you. Yeah, yeah. Devontae Campbell's having a heck of a night. Um, to me, it's Devontae. He's the only all-pro they have defensively. And to me, he really just changed what this defense can be. You know, we talk about how this defense is different than in years past against the run. I think he's that big reason. They really struggled shutting down the edge, and it seemed like the, the Browns could get to the edge whenever they wanted, and I feel like that was the aberration on Christmas Day, because I feel the Packers did a really good job of stretching things out, pushing runners to the boundary anytime somebody tried to run to the outside, and Devontae was able to go, get out there and cut that off. It, it's... Can you guys tell I'm just really excited to have a good inside <laughs> yeah, linebacker? as you should be. Like, it's been so long. I mean, touchdowns and offense and Roger stuff is cool, but like... And inside linebackers in the backfield make a tackle. That's fun, too. BD, your defense player of the year. Uh, I, I had uh, Devontae Campbell written in here as well, but just in the interest of mixing things up, I'm going to go with uh, Razul Douglas. I mean, this dude picked up uh, off the Cardinals practice squad in the middle of the season, made arguably the two biggest plays of the Packers season, the pick six at the end of the Arizona game, uh, and then the pick six uh, in the Rams game as well, when that game was still kind of hanging in the balance, and he he threw the dagger at that one to steal a phrase from Wayne Larravee. Uh Just, you know, a revelation. It, it's been bigger than that, too. It's not just the opportunistic pick sixes, uh, especially with Jair Alexander going down. You needed a guy that could keep you steady in your secondary at that position with Eric Stokes and some other pieces in there. Uh, and he's been better than steady. He has uh, elevated that without Jair Alexander playing. Rasul Douglas has been amazing. Hey, Greg Metz. Yeah, I, if, if I'm going to do a list for this, it, it includes the, the players you guys mentioned. Uh, I, I'm going to go a little bit outside the box here with Kenny Clark. I, I feel like he's really under the radar here in terms of his stats. He, I, stats don't pop off the page when you're soaking up two 300-pound men at the line of scrimmage. But how many times have we seen Kenny Clark just absolutely destroy somebody and throw him into the backfield? And it's not about sacks with him, though we did have four, which I think is a pretty good number for an interior lineman. But when he is on the field, like, he makes an extreme difference. And he made, I think, Dean Lowry have his best season as a pro. And he's just kind of opened the door to why you paid him and why you trust this guy on your defensive line. I love Campbell, love Douglas. I think Kenny Clark was incredible this year. Sorry, number of times that Kenny, but just, just watching on TV, it's hard to notice interior line play. You noticed him this year, like the way he would drive centers back. I would, whoa, what? Okay, now I got to rewind that. Did that just really happen? He just took that three hundred twenty pound man and just like shoved him that far off the ball. Wow, like the strength of Kenny Clark is unbelievable. Can I throw an honorable mention out there as Please. well for defensive player of the year, uh, Preston Smith? Uh, a guy that was maligned through portions of the last couple of seasons, took a pay cut, uh, and then uh, damn near made up all of that money in terms of incentives with the amount of sacks he was able to accrue over the course of the year. What a bounce-back season for Preston Smith, who became one of the leaders on that defensive side of the ball with Zedarius, his other Smith brother, missing a huge chunk of the season, obviously. Nine sacks for Preston. He's been awesome all season long, and uh, looking forward to seeing more of that into the postseason. All right, let's give some love to the offensive player of the year. BD, you want to kick us off? I sure will. Offensive player of the year. Uh, the easy answer, of course, is Aaron Rodgers, but I'm going to go with Devontae Adams here. Uh, he's one half of that connection, obviously. When you set the Packers' single-season receiving record with over 1,500 yards, uh, that is ridiculous. Devontae Adams is the offensive player of the year. I'm just going to handle this the way whoever has to handle his induction into the Hall of Fame or the debates when Aaron Rodgers goes into the Hall of Fame. You stand up. 
you say, he's Aaron Charles Rogers, mm-hmm. and you sit down. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is just that simple, Pretty isn't easy. it? <laughs> it is just that simple. Record-setting year for both players and, uh, you know, Hall of Fame career for Rodgers, a Hall of Fame trajectory all of a sudden for Devontae Adams. I'm going to go with Adams just because uh, he's a unanimous All-Pro, if that means anything. And Rodgers will win the MVP award, I have no doubt about that. Uh, Adams is a true difference maker as well. You're splitting hairs here. The Packers did beat Arizona without Adams. I get that, too. Another honorable mention as well, uh, this is not the Offensive Player of the Year, but the guy that I think exceeded expectations is A.J. Dillon. If I told you at the beginning of the year A.J. Dillon was going to lead the Packers in rushing, I think we all would have scoffed at that thought with Aaron Jones, but he ended up doing that. And I get Aaron missed some games, but A.J. Dillon, uh, not only on the field, but off the field, ingratiating himself to the Green Bay community, to the state of Wisconsin, becoming the unofficial mayor of Dora County, single-handedly uh, boosting the business at the AC Tap and their wing joints in Dora County. He's having a heck of a season on and off the field. Two more here. The PC Modi. Of course, I mean, the press conference moment of the year. We have oh, some man. interaction. We start with nominee number one. I'm glad you asked. Uh, just so I could show you the lesions on my foot here, Rob. So if I have enough room on this camera, let me see if I can... Oh, Oh, there's no lesions whatsoever. Oh, what a surprise. And we have moment number two related to number one. Y'all don't want to see my toe on my quarterback? <laughs> Billy Turner on the mic. And number three, very familiar, quite recent. I think he's a bum. I think he's an absolute bum. All right, your moments of the year, fellas. Wow. Please deliberate. Uh, I, I got to go with the foot. Um, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers at the podium, or whatever you want to call it, wherever the Zoom, whatever he ended up doing, I was must watch. Not TV, but must watch <laughs> computer screen, must watch device. I don't know what you want to call it. You just stop giving a damn. This oh, you just never knew what the heck he was going to yeah. do or say, or who he was going to have to respond to. And you know, credit. I, I think media knew how to tee him up. And he sort of just took things and ran with it. But the, the, the bringing the foot up into the screen, that was a screensaver on like 90% of computers inside this office uh, for the next several weeks. So it, to me, that was a moment of the year. Yeah, I think that's that's unanimous for sure. And what I loved about it, too, is he told, and he spoke about this, he told the Packers, like, media relations staff that he was going to do that ahead of time. He's like... Yeah, I keep hearing all these rumors about COVID toe and my toe, so I'm going to dispel all this, and I'm going to put my foot up there on the Zoom camera. And all the media relations people are like, uh, you think that's a good idea? Yeah, what I don't now? care if it's a good idea. I'm throwing <laughs> it up there. Put my foot on the camera, man. It was really weird. Right? It was. Yeah, it was really weird. weird. And I'm not like, I mean, I, I want to give, I'm just going to say Billy Turner just to be different because I thought that was funnier just was to kind of get that shot in because we don't expect that from Billy Turner. That's a good point. So shout out to Billy. Y'all don't want to see my toe? <laughs> all right, last one. Since it's been all about the players, we got to give out at least one award to our guys, Wayne and Larry. That's right. It's the banter of the year. Nominee number one. Butker kicking from right to left. Eighth in the league with the 28 touchbacks. And now Augusta Wind blows the ball off the tee. It is a... Uh... You know what his nickname is? No. Butt kicker. <laughs> Good laugh, nominee number two. You know what, Rock? This was a much simpler game when you and I were kids and we were watching it. They played four-man down line on defense. They played all three downs, all that stuff. There was no nickel or dime or any of this other. Anyway, now we sound like old men. 
Hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> and finally, nominee number three. The officiating crew out there, it's kind of like they're in that zombie walk, you know what I mean, where, where they're just... I, I don't know, this way, that way, the other way. I, well. the, the kind of walk you had on New Year's Eve? Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. <laughs> well, let's not go there. There's some game tape for you. Our guys, Wayne and Larry, oh, on man. the call. Ooh, those are so good that they sound like SNL skits of play-by-play announcers. You know, like picked out of the broadcast, those could live on Saturday Night Live. It's like skits. Uh, that good. Do, do we have the banter where uh, after Larry talked with Coach LaFleur, he tossed it back to Gus Neitzel? <laughs> Honorable man. Send it back to Gus. <laughs> mm, do I go now? <laughs> I think you're on, Gabe. I think you're on. Who's Gus? <laughs> Gabe just looking at me like, I don't know. I just go, go. It's your turn. Oh, God. I think we still have the, uh, I, this is in the archives, the Larry McCarran Jingle Bells. So I, I want to give you the backstory behind this. Uh, Brian, I'm sure you've heard it. Gabe, I know oh, yeah. you've heard it. Yep. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, many of our WTMJ listeners have heard this, but it's it's 30 seconds of golden audio. I'm not sure if our uh, ESPN audience is familiar with it, or famil, as the kids on ESPN would say. Uh, back in the day, we had a system here called Pro Tools, and Pro Tools was like the early stages of digital editing software. And if you had Pro Tools, man, you had the gold standard. And this was sort of an industry standard for music making. And it was an Apple product. So there was one Apple computer in the entire building, in one of the studios that we have for recording and whatnot. And if you could get on Pro Tools and start doing stuff, man, you were, you had that mastered. You could do some things with production. So we had a producer here named Brian Ramsey. And Brian had just enough of a screw loose to put fun stuff together like this. So he had Scott Pfeiffer, our master engineer for the Packers Radio Network, record off mic just Larry. He had a separate mic recording just Larry's noises throughout the game because they can be somewhat entertaining. And at the end of the year, just before Christmas, it was a lead-up to one of the final games of the season, Brian Ramsey worked, I, I bet, 18 to 20 hours, piecing together 30 minutes of Larry McCarron's grunts, noises, and whatever else he does in the booth, to Jingle Bells. Gear up for the postseason with us. You're listening to California Dreamin', presented by Annex Wealth Management. Back to Greg, Gabe, and Brian. Packers injury report is pretty short, and that's the good news here. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is the one name that shows up as being doubtful uh, for Saturday's game against the San Francisco 49ers. Gabe Neitzel, Brian Dean, Greg Matzik with you on California Dreaming. I'm trying to figure out how big of a deal that is. And, you know, he's the one casualty. Maybe Chandon Sullivan, though he did not appear in the injury report. He was also injured in that game against the Detroit Lions. But... MVS is out, and it's not Devontae Adams. I get it. It's not an equivalent player on, on the defense. 
hopefully some of those players will come back who are injured. But I'm trying to figure out if MVS out is a big deal, knowing how the 49ers like to get after teams, and that is with their pass rush. Because MVS is a deep threat, more so than he is an underneath threat. So it, my logic, and it may be flawed, but work with me on this, is that Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb likely stand to have a more significant role in the Packers' offense against a team like the 49ers than MVS, but MVS is the guy you got to worry about because of his speed. So I'm trying to figure out if this is a big deal or if it's somehow mitigated, Gabe, because Alan Lazard is, oh, by the way, has eight touchdowns this year? Where did that come from? And Randall Cobb is back. We talked about Zadarius Smith earlier and about how he might be, if you could only pick one, the guy that you want to return. Because if he makes one play, he makes that one strip sack, he gets that one hit at the right time that causes an interception, that could just flip everything. And that's what MVS is to this offense. Yeah, for the most part, you're not going to be taking a lot of deep shots because this front four is very formidable. It doesn't matter who you have in there. If you've got Josh Myers and Billy Turner and David Bakhtiari back, or if it's Yash Nyman or whoever playing left tackle. But on that one play, if you go max protect and go play action, and you're able to beat that safety over the top, that's that game changer. So it's is it a big deal? No. But it certainly hurts because the Packers don't have anybody else that can do what MVS does on offense. Nobody else on the offense has that game-breaking speed. Remember, he had the game against Tampa in the NFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. MVS was over 100 yards yeah. because they, they did everything they could to take Devontae Adams out of that game and had reasonable success doing so. And I'm trying to figure out, they're all different. They are so different. MVS, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, two, three, four, I don't care how you categorize them. They just get after you a different way. Yeah, and I tend to agree with Gabe on this, that it's not a huge deal because he hasn't been a huge part of the offense all season, so it's easier to adjust without him out there. That being said, like, and I'm an MVS guy. Like, I thought he was going to have a monster year after watching him in training camp. He looked healthy. He was making great catches back in August, and it just it didn't translate over the course of the season for a variety of different reasons. But it's not like he didn't have big performances this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had you know four for 123 against Minnesota in the loss up there and caught a huge touchdown late in that football game. He had five for 98 in a tutty at Baltimore in a game the Packers ultimately won. So he has those game-breaking plays still in them, and hopefully he can get back at some point in the postseason to provide that threat. All of that being said, I don't see the offense primarily being funneled through him, which is why I don't think it's a huge deal if he misses this game. That, that was a quarter of his catches. Yeah. You just rattled off. Yeah. Right? I mean, he had like 25 catches all year. 26. Uh, 26, to be exact. So I, I think I would feel... Here's where I'd net on the whole deal. I, I think I'd be a little more concerned if Alan Lazard weren't available. I agree with you. Than MVS. I, I just think about how Aaron's going to pick apart the San Francisco defense and what Lazard means to the blocking system for the Green Bay Packers with an offensive line that we have no idea what it's going to look like here, uh, but overall a pretty talented unit, and how they deploy Alan Lazard, right? He's kind of a motion guy into the backfield. He, he slips across and can kind of be a tight end at times, which is interesting. MVS is sort of your one-trick pony, and he does that thing really well. I'd be a little more concerned if Lazard were out than MVS. And I kind of feel about all the, as long as you have two of those three available out of the three you just listed, along with Devontae Adams, the good, game plan. Good enough, right? Yeah, You're good, good there? You're, I'm good there. It's, the game plan is going to be a little bit different, depending because, as you mentioned, they all do 
so many different things. Like, there's not a lot of crossover and similarities in their games. But if I have two of those three available opposite of Devontae Adams, I'm going to feel pretty good heading into that game. Yeah, your five wide opportunities become Josiah DeGuara, maybe, yeah. and Aaron Jones, if you want to have... Uh, you know, a couple different options out there along with, you know, the other three that were mentioned. So I, I think you're still okay from a playbook standpoint. The playbook is still pretty wide open. And it's not like you can't take deep shots with Devontae Adams. He's just likely to have more attention his way. I think you said something really important, Gabe, about Alan, not Gabe, Greg, about Alan Lazard uh, in terms of blocking. I mean, if you want to give me credit for the smart I'll thing give, Greg I'll said, give it Greg. I can, I I'll give it to both of you guys. He was proud of your schedule. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> trying to hype me up, buddy. Uh, Al Lazard's a terrific blocker, and I think that's huge. You know, we're talking about the pass game right now with MVS, right? But uh, we haven't talked too much about the Packers employing the run, at least in this two-hour show. Al Lazard is so huge uh, on pinning down some blocks when Aaron Jones bounces outside and scampers, right? And it's not as effective, obviously, with A.J. Dillon, who tends to run a little bit more between the tackles and be that thumper. But when they bounce Aaron Jones outside, keep your eyes on Lazard because some of those plays are made or broken based upon his ability to block. And that's something that MVS simply doesn't give you as much. That's huge. It's not just that. It's his ability in the RPO game, too. Huge. Where where you run that screen, you know, that quick little, a lot of times it's Devontae Adams out there, and yeah, sometimes they have Devontae in the stop route, but if Devontae is going in motion, they'd more than likely have Alan Lazard out there, and if Rodgers likes the look, he's going to flip it to Devontae because he knows he's got a lead blocker in Lazard, and Devontae might be able to spring something for 10 to 15 yards. He'd love to be full strength uh, at all positions. Uh, The Packers are going to be compromised somewhere along the line here. Again, David Bakhtiari is questionable. So is Jair Alexander. Of the two, I think Alexander's got a real shot to play. Bakhtiari, I'm kind of 50-50 on. That's just you know me hearing Matt LaFleur talk throughout the week. So Darius Smith is not on the active roster. Neither is Whitney Merciless. My guess is at least one of those two players will be, uh, maybe both, in time for Saturday's game. When we come back, we will take a walk around the league. The divisional round of the playoffs begin Saturday afternoon. We will try and handicap the games. We have got predictions. We will tell you what to watch. After this, preparing you for Packers playoff football the only way we know how. We're California Dreaming, presented by Annex Wealth Management. Here's Greg, Gabe, and Brian. Final segment of the program. Thanks for hanging out with us. Greg Matzik, Gabe Neitzel, Brian D. It's California Dreaming on WTMJ, ESPN at Milwaukee, and Thanks to those chiming in on our 620 WTMJ Facebook page and at WTMJ on Twitter. Packers and 49ers, one of four games on the weekend schedule. we got four games, two on Saturday, two on Sunday, and an entertaining slate of games. But how do you handicap these games? It is time to tell you... I said... What to watch. A little slow on the uptick there. That's my mistake. All right, gentlemen, here's how we play the game. Are you ready to play? Yes. Or do you want to know the rules first? No, nah, <laughs> let it fly. Yeah, i ready to play. <laughs> we already peed in the pool. All right, we've got categories. We've got categories for all the games that are on the schedule. One category will end up having two games in it, and I'll let you guys decide. The first category of games are... Must-see TV. The games you have to watch. You will not miss these games. You cannot miss these games. We'll likely include the Packers and 49ers into that mix. So if you had to pick... Must-see TV out of the remaining games. Cincinnati at Tennessee. The Rams at Tampa Bay. Buffalo at Kansas City. Gabe Neitzel. The game I'm most excited for is Buffalo-Kansas City. Like, that's the one I am really looking forward to. 
This was the game that I think most people thought was going to be the AFC Championship game this season. Very well could be the AFC Championship game because I don't believe very much in Cincinnati or Tennessee. Buffalo's playing tremendous football. Their defense is being very opportunistic. Patrick Mahomes is still giving teams opportunities. If you want to take advantage of them to get those turnovers, this is the game I'm most interested in on Sunday night. Brian D., how do you categorize? Must-see TV. Yeah, it's Packers-Niners, obviously, and then Bills-Kansas City. Uh, Gabe hit it all. Uh, this is going to be a laser show. I mean, these are both these are two quarterbacks that are both coming off five touchdown performances in the playoffs, which is ridiculous. Uh, and, and Gabe said about the Buffalo defense, they're opportunistic. It's time to just say they're good. Like, this is a, a team that, that finished uh, the top mark in the league in scoring in yards. They're, they're the top defense in the NFL. Like We need to start talking about them in those terms. Um, so uh, this is a rematch, too, of an earlier season matchup. The Bills went down to Arrowhead, won 38-20 in Week 5, in a game that Josh Allen played great in. So this could be his moment where he finally catapults himself into the stratosphere of Mahomes, Brady, Rodgers. I feel like those are the top three, and Josh is kind of lurking in the, the second tier with Joe Burrow and some of these guys that are on the up and up. If he can go to Arrowhead and overcome the Chiefs in the playoffs in what I expect to be a high-scoring laser show, like I said, that's going to catapult him into superstardom. If you, you all you need to know about Josh Allen. So there was a list of fastest players, fastest you know, miles per hour that somebody reached. He was number three on the list, I believe, 20 miles an hour this last weekend. Yeah. And then he went on the Pat McAfee show today and said he weighs 245 pounds yeah. currently. <laughs> Can you imagine 245 pounds running at 20 miles an hour at you? He's no, just a gazelle, you. and he's got a, a hose. You know, he's got an absolute fire hose cannon of an arm. Uh, the other thing about Buffalo that's just ridiculous statistically right now, they three of their last four games they haven't punted. They've won five games in a row. They haven't punted in three of their last four games. That's how good they're playing offensively. Will the AFC representative in the Super Bowl come out of this game? Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Without yeah. hesitation. Yes. If you had to pick one fantasy quarterback to start in some fantasy league you're doing this week, are you taking Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes? Josh Allen. Yeah, it's because of the mobility. You're getting the, I think the sacks. yardage. Yeah. A, I think you're getting some, some yardage there. He was the top fantasy quarterback this year, period. He was. He was. All right, that is must-see TV, and that game will be played on Sunday. It is the nightcap, January 23rd, 5.30 on CBS, Buffalo at Kansas City in the divisional round. All right, not as sexy as must-see TV, but it's still on the radar, we like to call it. If your only other option is yard work. Kind of our middle-tier category here, Gabe. Uh, yeah, the other, to me, it's going to be L.A.-Tampa Bay. Like, this is the other game, like, it's... I'm not that interested in it. I mean, obviously, the opponent of this game is going to end up coming to Lambeau Field. It doesn't seem as sexy to me just because Tampa Bay is so beat up. I don't know what to make of the Rams, man. I really don't. Like, they can look really, really good like they did last week. Or they can do what they did against the San Francisco 49ers in Week 17 in a game that they had to win. And then they were fortunate that the Arizona Cardinals did not win so they could still get that home game where they blew a two-touchdown lead. I don't know what to make. This This defense should be better than it is, given all the parts that it has. I just don't know what to make of the Rams. I can see the Rams winning this game. I can't oh, for do. sure. I can see I can, the Rams winning this game. I can also see the Rams losing by three touchdowns. I don't know if I can I can see that because Tampa's so banged up right now. Like, 
Tristan Wirfs going out in last week's game certainly does not help their offensive line against a really good uh, Rams defensive line. And Gabe, I heard you talking about this on Jen, Gabe, and Chewy on 94.5 ESPN before wildcard weekend about how the Rams defensive line, you thought you thought Von Miller was going to be kind of the magic piece, that he slides in there and it's like, oh my goodness, it liberates everything and this just becomes a juggernaut. Von Miller finally kind of broke out of his shell in that wildcard weekend game. It's like, oh, it, it makes sense now. So... This is a uh, Tampa Bay is a three point favorite at home in this game. I think this is going to be close. I can see the Rams winning this one. And Tampa, you got to remember, they're down two uh, of their top wide receivers and Godwin, who's out for the year, and Antonio Brown, who took his shirt off and left. So uh, it, it's one of those situations where this could be the team coming to Lambeau. And I think Packers fans would feel a lot more comfortable with the Rams knowing that they came in here a couple of months ago on a cold night and the Packers pretty comfortably beat them. If you're a Buccaneers fan, you wanted Dallas to win last week. My oh, yeah. Buccaneers wanted Dallas. I, they, they want no part of the Rams because Aaron Donald just makes life a living hell for Tom Brady. And I am here for it, man. <laughs> I want to see that dude on the ground with his cleats in the air more often than not. I don't want to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come to Green Bay. As much as I'd love to see Aaron Rodgers take down Tom Brady, I think the Packers have a better chance at beating the Rams. And I think the Rams have maybe the best chance out of anybody in this field at knocking out Tom Brady. So I am all for this game. This game affects the Green Bay Packers more than Buffalo, Kansas City. But I like the sex appeal of Buffalo, Kansas City. Right? I, I like there is that that is a must see TV. And and look, I'm not a Bills fan like Brian D. I'm not a Chiefs fan, but I really like both teams. I really enjoy watching both teams. That will be drama free football for me. That's just gonna be fun. It's just fun. Football. Absolutely, it's not be absolutely. Fun I, I will. I will <laughs> watch I mean, the Rams for you. That game football is not supposed to be fun. Remember that, Brian. Yes, football is not a lot fun. of brandy. This can be brandy. The brandy is going to be fun. I'll be watching the Rams and Buccaneers with a rooting interest. Yeah, like I, I will have a okay. Yes. Yeah, let's let's yeah. get into this one a little bit, right? Like that's it's a different feeling watching these two games. All right, we've gotten through must see TV, and we now understand. If your only other option is yard work. Our final category, with one game remaining... I'd rather visit a proctologist. Do we want to watch Cincinnati, Tennessee? No. I want nothing to do with this game, I think game, this man. is a sneaky, entertaining game, I but too. I think it does fit in this I category. Do too. I don't hate this game at all. Joe Burrow and the Bengals are super fun. And, like, Tennessee... I've, I've heard no talk about the Tennessee Titans since the regular season ended. None. Like, we've been talking about the Packers as the top seed, even though they didn't play. And they've been making some national headlines because people care about Aaron Rodgers and what the Packers are going to do. I've heard nothing about the Tennessee Titans since, like, week 15. You like, want to know why? Because Ryan Tannehill's their quarterback. Yeah, but but they keep winning football games. Like, I, I've been trying to discount the Titans for three months, and I can't. And now they're getting Derrick Henry back, which is a really scary proposition uh, because nobody can stop him. Like, he is the Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes equivalent at running backs. Like you, what, what are you going to do? You, there's nothing you can do to stop him. He's going to get 20 carries for 120 yards and two touchdowns, and there's nothing you can do about it. I think they're being a little coy in Nashville. I heard what Derrick Henry had to say about playing, and it was more of a, well, we'll see. But he kind of had that look in his eye like, he knows. Yeah. He knows, and this is not a situation where he's not practicing and game time decision. We'll see, and we got to prepare for Devontae Booker to be our lead running back. No, big dog's going to be on the field. And here's what you need to know about Derrick Henry: he played eight games this season and still finished ninth in the league in rushing. Yeah, <laughs> like just what? a problem. 
Wait, he still had nearly a thousand yards. When he got hurt, the top two leading rushers in the NFL were Derrick Henry, led the league at the time he got hurt, 937 yards. Uh, number two was Derrick Henry after contact. No. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that is interesting. So, right. so I, he's going to be on the field. But I, I get your point about Cincinnati here. One thing that Tennessee does not do well is defend the pass. Yeah. And that's an area that, ten, uh, that uh, Cincinnati has become really intriguing. Uh, they were a run-the-ball team early, and they have not been that lately. And it's really opened the door to them being a playoff team. There's that meme that Joe Burrow literally referenced in a press conference after they won the division. That dude don't like, care, you know, man. Screw it. Jamar is down there somewhere, and he just chuck, chucks it up. And we saw that against the Packers. Jamar Chase went off against the Packers in a game early in the season where we thought, oh, the Bengals are no good. Well, guess what? The Bengals are a division championship team and could be representing uh, one half of the AFC title game after this weekend. They're really good. They're really fun. I do think this is going to be a sneaky entertaining game. I'm going to go on record here with my predictions. Tennessee is going to win this game at home against Cincinnati in advance to the AFC title game. I'm calling Buffalo in a mild upset over the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think Los Angeles is going to beat Tampa Bay. Gabe, where are you at? Uh, If that happens, by the way... um Good luck to our friend Brian D, because that means he's probably going to head to Nashville. Yeah, we'll be picking up shifts. I understand. You just post um, my job. I I am going to say, I actually think the Cincinnati Bengals defeat the Tennessee Titans. I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills over Kansas City, L.A. over Tampa Bay as well. Tennessee, L.A., Buffalo, and now we're back to Green Bay, San Francisco. Start us off. I think the Packers win by... Three points or less. I think this is going to be a really close football game, very similar to what we saw in week three. And it might come down to a field goal or a possession at the end in terms of who has the ball last and who can execute down the stretch. If if, if you are a, a fan of, of football games that are laughers and you don't like the excitement, this game's not going to be for you. This is going to be a close football game. Great philosopher told me this week. Mark Chewy. <laughs> <laughs> That the Packers are never going to be in control of this game, but it's never going to be out of control. Ooh. If you can make that make sense in your head, please let me know what it means, because I haven't been able to make sense of it all week. Uh, but I'm going to take that, and I think that means that the Packers are going to kind of be able to keep San Francisco at an arm's length. I'm going to take the Packers 31-24. I think the Packers are a better team. I did not feel that way in the 2019 NFC Championship game. I did not think the Packers would have a shot to beat San Francisco. This year, they're not only the better team... They are the healthier team, they are the better rested team, and they by far have the best quarterback. I think the Packers win this game, and I think they cover. I think they win by eight. I think it's a strange score of 30-22. to 22. And the Packers advance to the NFC Championship game, where they will take on the Los Angeles Rams. If that is the case, Gabe, Brian, myself, we will all be here again next week. Thursday night from 6 to 8 o'clock. We appreciate you listening. Thanks to Greg Hill for producing. Check out clips of our program on our Twitter page at 620 WTMJ. Have a great night.